This is Barry Zelma, Zelma on insurance. Today I'd like to speak about false swearing and insurance fraud, since one goes perfectly well with the other. In common language, the false swearing provision of an insurance policy merely means that if the insured lies under oath, the policy is void whether the lie is in proof of loss or at an examination under oath. In Texas and Oklahoma, false swearing is explained this way, quote, where an insured knowingly and willfully overestimates the value of property destroyed or damaged, the policy is voided and the insured's right to recover is defeated. The reason for the false swearing defense can be explained because it would be unjust to allow a claimant to misrepresent facts under oath that might lead to a valid defense and then allow him to escape the consequences of the falsehood simply because he had succeeded so well that the company was unable to establish the defense. The Eighth Circuit upheld a false swearing defense when it stated, quote, The Willises also argue that State Farm made no showing that it had actually relied on Mr. Willis's misstatements or that it would have done anything different had Mr. Willis told the truth. The jury was not instructed, however, that a showing of reliance was necessary and the Willises did not object to the jury instruction. We think, moreover, that the instruction was correct. Although reliance must be shown in a claim for fraud in the inducement, and an exception to this general rule exists, of course, if a statutory provision specifically makes a party's reliance an element of the defense of fraud, or false swearing. No such statutory provision currently exists in Arkansas, where the case was venued. Close quote. The New Jersey legislature defined false swearing as existing when a person makes a false statement under oath or equivalent affirmation or swears or affirms the truth of such a statement previously made when he does not believe the statement to be true. In North Carolina, the Court of Appeal recognized that, quote, it is a basic principle of insurance law that the insurer may avoid his obligation under the insurance contract by a showing that the insured made representations in his application that were material and false. Misrepresentations on an insurance application are material if the knowledge or ignorance of it would naturally influence the judgment of the insurer in making the contract and accepting the risk. Defendant must show that the insured made statements that were one false, two knowingly and willfully made, and three material. And if it does, 
the policy will be declared void. False swearing as perjury is a crime in all states, and ensured that is swearing is subject to the possibility, although a fairly slight possibility, of criminal liability. The person swearing falsely also destroys the right to recover under a policy of insurance. And in, in a case of mine, the insured did swear falsely at her examination under oath. And when the transcript was prepared on the advice of her counsel, all of the denials of her fraudulent conduct were changed to affirmance of the wrongful conduct. And when I asked the lawyer, why she changed her testimony to admit to the crime of insurance fraud, he said he wanted her to avoid charges of perjury. He was correct. She avoided the charge of perjury, but she was convicted of insurance fraud and spent some time in jail. It, is difficult to understand sometimes why people lie under oath. Uh, this time, in my case, it was to make some extra money out of an insurance claim, which simply was not owed. And when caught, she gave up. An insurer can assert false swearing as an affirmative defense to an action brought by an insured, which is exactly what we did after she changed her testimony. To constitute such a defense, the false statement must have been made under oath with the knowledge that it was false and with the intent that the person to whom the statement is made will rely on it. Actual reliance is not necessary. To support a defense to a claim or a suit on a policy, the statement must be false and material to the claim. Almost every policy that insures against the risk of loss of property requires the insured to submit a sworn proof of loss. The proof of loss must provide complete details regarding the property insured, the origin of the loss, and the value of the property claim destroyed. A policy usually also requires the insured to give the insurer access to books and records to prove the claim. Where fraud is suspected, the insurer may demand that the insured be examined under oath. Significant deviations between the sworn proof of loss and the facts developed at an examination under oath can be the basis of a defense of fraud or false swearing. If false swearing is found to exist, it will normally constitute a complete defense to any claim under a property insurance policy. In one case, I was involved in, 
the insured had submitted a sworn proof of loss with a great deal of detail concerning each and every item of personal property claimed destroyed in a small fire. When the insured was examined under oaths, she was asked about the loss of a bottle of Lalique perfume. The insured looked unbelievably and said, I've never even heard of Lalique perfume. I never had such a bottle. Well, in fact, there is no such thing as Lalique perfume. Lalique is a type of glass that is often made into perfume bottles in which other vendors' perfumes are placed. The insured's public adjuster had simply added something valuable to the list of property stolen or lost in the fire and forgot to tell the insured to verify his lie. Since the insured was honest, uh, the claim was adjusted to fit the reality rather than the claim, and a report was made to the appropriate authorities about the actions of the public adjuster. The claim could have been denied in its entirety for false swearing, admitted to by the insured under oath in her examination under oath. The value of the false swearing defense in fraud investigations is that it can provide an alternative basis for denying a claim. If the adjuster cannot prove fraud, but can prove that the insured lied under oath, the insurer can safely deny the claim. This was well as illustrated by the case of Barasco versus Pacific Indemnity, a 1996 decision of a Pennsylvania U.S. District Court, where the insurer suspected arson and denied the insured's fire loss claim. Although the insurer could not prove arson by the insured, there was a legitimate question as to whether the fire was incendiary in nature. The insurer also had clear proof of misrepresentation made by the insureds under oath regarding, among other things, their active attempt to sell the property at the time of the fire. The court held that the materiality of the false statements is to be determined at the time of the investigation. The court further held that the insurer's investigation into the insured's possible motive to commit arson was entirely reasonable and prudent, and inquiries into the insured's financial condition were therefore material to the issue of motive. Evidence that the insured's intended to mislead Pacific Indemnity was found as follows. Overvaluation of the loss. Inclusion in the proof of loss of items that never existed undervaluation of salvage property and false statements regarding ownership, encumbrances relating to the property, and the origin of the fire. False swearing can be proved by direct evidence 
although usually direct evidence is not available. Most often, proof of false swearing comes from the admission of circumstantial evidence on the issue of false swearing. The absence of a criminal conviction for arson, fraud, or false swearing does not deprive the insurer of the false swearing defense. Heck, it's, it's almost impossible to get a modern prosecutor to even consider prosecuting an insurance fraud case, especially when the evidence is only of false swearing in the presentation of a proof of loss. The absence of criminal conviction means nothing to the decision to deny a claim. The burdens of proof are different. The crime requires proof beyond a reasonable doubt. The defense of false swearing requires only proof by a preponderance. That is only 50% plus one. As both the proof of loss and the testimony at examination under oath are sworn to by the insured, any material falsehood, any material falsehood is sufficient to establish the defense of false swearing. I had a case where the falsehood turned out to be a, a set of Encyclopedia Britannica and a wooden duck decoy, which were discovered in the insured's replacement house when the local fire department obtained a search warrant and searched his house. He was eventually charged with arson and insurance fraud, and that case was eventually dropped for reasons known only to the prosecutors. The same is true of any difference between the facts testified to during the examination under oath or stated in the proof of loss and the facts developed from an audit of the insured's books and records or an insurer's investigation. The U.S. Supreme Court stated the rule as follows, quote, A false answer as to any matter of fact, material to the inquiry, knowingly and willfully made, with an intent to deceive the insurer would be fraudulent, if it accomplished its result, it would be a fraud effected. If failed, it would be a fraud attempted. No one can be permitted to say, in respect to his own statements upon a material matter, that he did not expect to be believed. Their materiality in the eye of the law consists in their tendency to influence the conduct of the party who has an interest in them and to whom they are addressed. Close quote. Claflin v. Commonwealth Insurance Company, a U.S. Supreme Court decision in 1884 that is still the law of the United States. In another case, the California Court of Appeal found in Imperial Casualty v. Sagamonian in 1988 that the insured knowingly misrepresented to his insurer facts 
material to the decision to ensure. Sagamonian had informed Imperial that he had never incurred a loss, nor had any insurer ever canceled or declined to renew a policy issued to him. The court found that Sagamonian had insurance canceled by three prior insurers, had suffered five prior losses, and had collected on a claim with another prior insurer on the same day he signed his application for insurance with Imperial Casualty. Sagamonian was suspected of setting fire to his own home and of presenting a false and fraudulent claim. The arson for profit was difficult to prove, but proving that he lied when he applied for the insurance defeated his suit and gave a judgment in favor of the insurer that was eventually paid, including all of the money spent by the insurer to investigate the claim and to defend the lawsuits involved. That case took 15 years of my life and resulted in multiple different lawsuits, including a threat to kill me personally in the courtroom while I testified at the trial and to bomb my office building prior to the denial of the claim. Evidence had been gathered in the case, and although it did not show on the appellate record, that revealed that the appraisals of the personal property he used as a proof of his claim were false and fraudulent, the appraiser admitted that he signed blank appraisals and that the insured must have added some zeros when he typed up the appraisals, making a $1,000 item a $10,000 item. Insurance fraud investigators and lawyers faced with a potential insurance fraud must remember that insurance policies are contracts that, when clear and unambiguous, are always enforceable. And if the insured lies under oath, the insurer may and will effectively refuse to pay the claim. This video was adapted from my book, Insurance Fraud, Volume 1, which is available as both a Kindle book and a paperback from Amazon.com. If you found this video to be interesting or useful to you or your colleagues, please pass it on. It's free. And please also subscribe to my YouTube channel, my Rumble channel, my blog, and my Substack publications. And please also click on the link in the, the like and the Rumble keys to show that you appreciated the videos. Thank you for your attention.